welcome to episode 119 of the Lace Em Up podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. It's the last week before the start of the playoffs. So, of course, we're going to talk about uh, a lot of wild card stuff. Uh, we're going to be talking about some late-breaking NHL stories, uh, one of which involves the Sedin Twins in Vancouver. Uh, so we'll get to that in a rapid-fire segment. Uh, we'll also talk about our Bruins Sens uh, news as well in our Bruins Sens segment. Uh, and our main topic has to do with the Vegas Golden Knights and whether or not the NHL is to blame for their success. How dare we take any any credit away from them? That's absolute blasphemy. Uh, but uh, first, what we're going to be doing, like we do every week, we're going to start off the show with uh, a trivia question from the Hockey Hall of Fame Book of Trivia. Questions on weeks. It's the NHL Centennial Edition. This week, we're at question nine. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I am ready, yes. Okay, here it is. Which Hall of Famer beat Bobby Hall as Rookie of the 57-1958? Your options are A, Stan Mikita of the Chicago Blackhawks. B, Frank Mahovlich of the Toronto Maple Leafs. C, Gump Worsley of the New York Rangers. Gump Worsley is a goaltender, by the way. And D, Tim Horton. Inspiration of Tim Horton's, the coffee chain here in Canada. Uh, He played with the Leafs. Uh, when he was a rookie in 57-58. Uh, so, Brett, what do you think the correct answer is? Um, I don't know. I'm going to say Tim Horton, just I, even though I, that's probably wrong. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go Tim Horton, just because, I don't know. Well, you got the team right, but you got the name wrong. It's the big M, Frank Mahovlich. Right, I probably wouldn't have gotten it either way. Oddly enough, um, Bobby Hall actually had 11 more points than Frank Mahovlich did, but Frank Mahovlich scored 20 goals, and Bobby Hall had 13 that year, and he just edged him out. Uh, 37.15% uh, of the vote went to Frank. Uh, Bobby Hall got 35, 35.91% of the vote, and uh, he only won by, like, four votes. So it was a pretty close race, but Frank Mahovlich ended up edging him out there, so... Uh, that is your trivia question. We'll look forward to question 10 next week. But until then, let's get on with the show. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. Yeah, I guess that's a, that's an interesting question there. At um, least you're learning a lot, right? Yeah, it's true. I, I kind of like this segment more than the uh, Jersey segment that we used yeah. to start the show, just because now I'm involved in here. So if I, there's uh, if there's one thing I like, it's it's hockey trivia. I'm a history buff for hockey trivia. I love hockey trivia. That's cool. Um, well, here's some hockey trivia for you. Uh, the the Vegas Golden Knights are the first expansion team to make the playoffs in their first um, in their first year of existence um, which is you know when you look at the roster and you look at the team it kind of makes sense um, however we you know this is still kind of shocking because we all kind of put um, Vegas you know like down um, and thought like oh their expansion team they're not gonna be good this year. Um, it turns out they're actually pretty good, and they might—they have a pretty good shot at uh, winning the the whole thing. 
and they won their division already. And they won their whole thing. So I ended up I ended up reading a think piece on 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 this issue. Um, it was kind of a poorly written. It wasn't exactly great, but kind of just it came off as a guy who was pissed off that his Blackhawks weren't in the playoffs, but the Vegas Golden Knights were. Um, but anyways, he had a, there was some interesting aspect that he said where, um, where he felt like the Golden Knights were, the Golden Knights' success is an indictment on the NHL. And um, he made the point that like a guy like William Carlson should not be getting 42 goals and 75 points. And, um, you know, the Jonathan Marchessault and Riley Smith, uh, the Florida Panthers screwed them up so much. Um, and that it's kind of like, uh, you know, um, like this just shows how bad the NHL has gotten that a group of misfits um, could be could do so well in the NHL in their first year. Um but on the other hand, there is an aspect that I think he missed, which was that, um, you know, this team was kind of pretty good. Um, and, like, you know, that it kind of, if anything, it shows how much talent the NHL has that, like, a, you know, that a guy that the Blue Jackets thought was expendable, which was William Carlson, and he was expendable at the time, um, well, he only scored six goals last year, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. He, you know, he wasn't exactly great, or like a guy like David Perron, Jonathan Marchessault, who had 30 goals last year. So should also mention that Perron was protected over, uh, wasn't protected over Ryan Reeves. That's true. Um, who is now on the freaking team somehow. Yeah, that's a good point. Or like Eric Halla, um, although he was a promising like young player in the league, I don't think. People expected him to be in a top six in Minnesota or something, but, um, you know, um, same for Colin Miller. Um, you know, I never thought, I, like, I had a feeling he'd probably be a top four defenseman, but, um, but like, you know, the Bruins you just didn't have enough room. points so. of a top four defenseman, though? Yeah, I think so. I think he was just in a, Boston had a ton of, since uh, we had Carlo, and hopefully I was still optimistic about McAvoy, um, yeah. you know, I was like, all right, in the few, in the grand scheme of things, in a couple of years, I'm not sure if we where we would put Colin Miller on the team. So um, I'm not surprised that he's doing pretty well right now. But anyways, that's not, you know, Nate Schmidt's another guy like that um, for Washington where you're like, Whatever. So, but anyways, my point is, is that, like, um, if anything, it doesn't show that, like, the NHL screwed up and Vegas is, like, uh, is known as, like, the, like, like, this should be a bad thing. However, I think this is kind of cool that, like, you know, a bunch of misfits, basically, who that teams didn't want are able to pull together... And actually, like compete in this in the for the Stanley Cup, and they might actually win, um, which would be something, you know. So uh, you know, Flurry has been unbelievable as well. It's it's not necessarily 
Um, you know, the coach has been amazing too. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's not, um, I don't know if I'm making sense, but anyways, what, what is your thoughts? Is it, is the Vegas Golden Knights doing well in the first year an indictment on the NHL or is it, um, just proof that, you know, how much talent is in the league? Well, let's dig deep into this article a little bit more. Here's another quote. They rolled sevens with just about every pick they made, had a coach who knew exactly how to maximize what he had, and took advantage of just an awful division. First of all, let's take a quick glance at the Pacific Division, shall we? The Coyotes, who are last right now, are playing better than I've seen them play all year and in quite some time. In fact, they're playing like the team we thought we were going to see. Right. Uh, and then we have the Canucks, who have Brock Besser, Bo Horvat, a pair of young goalies in Thatcher Demko and Mike DiPietro. And Mike DiPietro in uh, the Windsor Sarnia series, he's stolen two games. He's made 40-plus saves. So both of those goaltenders got a lot of hype to them. And then you look at the Flames and Oilers, who are going to miss the playoffs this year. They have two of the brightest NHL young stars in Connor McDavid and Johnny Gaudreau. And then the three California teams, the Sharks, Kings, and Ducks, are separated by, give or take, five points in the standings. It looks like the Ducks and the Kings will be fighting for the third spot for a good chunk of the final week of the regular season. All three of those teams have 40 wins or more. And it might appear to be a division with the most separation of all the non-playoff NHL teams. But don't sit here and tell me that this is a crappy division. Like, yeah. this, this division is, is pretty good. So, so let's uh, continue on with this article. Um, <laughs> let's see here. It says your dumb product is so watered down by a salary cap freezing for a few years, and you have enough dumb GMs around torpedoing their own teams that really you only need a couple of guys to shoot the lights up for a year and some goaltending, and not only are you competitive, you're a division winner. What the Knights tell us about the league is that shallow, stupid, uncreative, and bland. I think it's more jealousy of the fact that Vegas didn't get the bottom of the barrel like the teams in the 90s did when they joined. Right. Like, imagine imagine Ottawa and Tampa Bay. They're just like, wow, wish we had that when we entered the league instead of, like, getting right. teams that lost 70 games a season. Right. So I, I think there's a bit of jealousy there. But you look at the NBA, for example. Like, you, you talk about the parody in the NHL, and it's just like, oh, you know, all this parody and blah, blah, blah. Salary cap ruins everything, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Before the salary cap came in, all the good players are going to the highest bidder. If that doesn't – if there's no there's more parody in the NHL back in the 90s than there is now. Because now that you have everyone on a level playing field, no one can outbid anybody. They've all got a cap to manage – and that is, in my opinion, how you build your brand. And I and I mentioned this in the offseason. You know, you look at teams like Tampa Bay and Nashville. Like, once upon a time, they were they were building their brand just like Vegas was. Yeah. And it, took, and it took years for them to do it. And I think it's fantastic that this subpar average team turned into a team that's got 100, po- 100 plus points on the year. That's won their division, and that could draw a very tough wildcard matchup and, and a spot in the playoffs. I think it's fantastic. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, David Perron wasn't protected, and Ryan Reeves was. That's right. St. Louis's fault. Gerard Gallant was fired in December by Florida. That's their fault. They gave up Jonathan Marchessault and traded Riley Smith yep. to Vegas 
and they knew who their coach was going to be because they freaking hired the guy a few years ago. Yep. So I I think hindsight is twenty twenty in yep. my opinion. No one expected the kind of season that they're having. And now that they're doing great, everyone's like, no, no, we can't let this happen. No, <laughs> no, this, this this can't happen. This this is too good a story. We can't have right. that. Listen, it. you look at the Buffalo Sabres, who for a couple of years have been the bottom of the barrel in the league. That's not the fault of the NHL. They've been getting top five picks galore. Yep. They've been getting top ten picks galore. They're still where they, where they are where they are. Because at the end of the day, everything that they're not doing is not getting results. And George McPhee is making the most of what he's got. Gerard Gallant's making the most of what he's got. The players are are banding together. You look at how the community has rallied around this team, how they've rallied around this community. It's just a feel-good story, and I like to see more of that. What I don't want to see is Golden State versus Cleveland for a four-straight year, because that's what the NBA could get. Do you really want the same matchup for four years in a row as to who wins it all? I don't. I mean, first year, first year is one thing. Second year, third year, the second year, maybe, but third year and fourth year, it's just like, okay, you're being the drum guys. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not necessarily sure how Vegas is going to be next season. Um, I, I, I think there is something like, I think it's more of a mixture of both. Um, like, it is a little like, um, you know, that like Vegas took advantage of a lot of teams, uh, particularly Florida, as we mentioned, um, Minnesota as well, because apparently Eric Halla was in a trade so that they wouldn't take, uh, Vegas wouldn't take um, Matt Dumba. Um, yeah, and, and that's and that's totally fair. And they also got Alex Tuck. Um, Shea Theodore was another one of those where uh, the yep. Anaheim traded Shea Theodore so that they wouldn't um, take someone else who was exposed. I'm blinking on that. But, um, you know, Florida, as we mentioned before, they they left Jonathan Marchesaw exposed, who had 30 goals last year. And they traded Riley Smith so they wouldn't take someone else. But they left Jonathan Marchesol, who's even better than Riley Smith, exposed. Um, so, um, so, so there were some teams that kind of like took advantage of this. Um, and like even like Pittsburgh, they like gift wrapped Mark Andre Fleury. Like they were saying, like, hey, take Mark Andre Fleury. We don't even need to make a trade because you you're getting flurry, um, kind of thing. So, um, there is some aspect of like teams that like, you know, just poor asset management, but at the same time, you know, like we didn't know that William Carlson was going to be this good. We didn't know that Jonathan Marcheseau was going to be this good. Although I just mentioned that he was a 30 goal scorer last year, David Perron, same deal, Eric Halla, James Neal, um, you know, if they don't trade a thought, who knows what he could do? Right. You know, um, and your favorite player of the world, Mark Mathot. Yeah. Um, but, like, you know, so there, there is some aspect of, like, kind of like it's fitting for this team, but there is some luck to this where you're like, okay, because this could have just as easily, you know, they could have just as easily been where Arizona and Buffalo are right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's just that, you know, the, 
they found a group of guys who had some talent um, or have had some success um, earlier on in their career. But, you know, just the way that expansion rules just left teams not um, being able to expose, you know, they couldn't protect a lot of these guys. Um, so there is some some factor to that. Um so, well, when you're tapping into the, like hockey markets that yeah. you know aren't hockey markets like Carolina or Arizona, you need a salary cap to really get everyone motivated to get everyone on the same playing field. Because if they're getting outbid, they'll never succeed. True. Yeah, I just yeah, I just think there is. I don't know. I think it's a mixture of like it's a mixture of column A and column B. Because I yeah. do kind of agree that like it. I'm not sure if an expansion team should make the playoffs their first year, but then at the same time, it's just like they did everything right. You know, it's you can't really knock them for that. So, um, so there this is some the elements of that. This isn't the 1990s anymore. The NHL has changed. Yeah, I'm like I'm sure Minis- back when Minnesota and Columbus were in the league in Nashville, like there, weren't their expansion rules like a lot different then? So, yeah. Um, so maybe there is something to that where, like, you know, Vegas had um, better expansion rules, so they were able to get be good at the first at-bat. Um, you know, the only question is, that, there's two questions, really, is if they can win the Stanley Cup right now, and if they can, um, and then their second thing is, is, Will they be good next year? I'm not that. I'm not so sure about because there's going to be exactly because like yeah. you know in Ottawa the thought is oh we were one goal away from the Stanley right. Cup Finals and now it's just like oh yay we're one percentage point away from getting the best odds of getting Rasmus Dallin. Right. Exactly. So, so a um, lot a lot can change in a season. True. Um. Let's uh. So we're, we're no longer... Okay, so other clinches and eliminations. Um, let's go with the other clinches this week. Um, Winnipeg, Toronto, Pittsburgh, and Washington all clinched. Um, and then there's more eliminated teams here. Uh, Dallas just got eliminated. I don't know if you saw that, Steve. But Dallas... I did not tell me that. But yeah, so Dallas is eliminated. Um... I think I saw that Dallas was eliminated. Wait, let me just uh, double check. But the other teams, while while I look for that, you can talk about the Islanders who got eliminated as well. And Josh Hossein brings up a good point, which you have a quote on, Steve. Okay. So taking a look at the Islanders, really the wheels really started to fall off the wagon. I didn't know at the time south. Uh, the Isles traded veteran Chase Change for Chris, Chris Wagner. And while Chimay could still get 15 to 20 goals a season based on what he's done the past two years, they didn't really acquire defense uh, other than Brandon Davidson from Edmonton. And if you're wondering why everyone just wants Garsnick, here's what he's done at the NHL trade deadline since 2007 as far as significant moves are concerned. In fact, maybe his moves are concerned, period. In 2007, he got Ryan Smith. At that time, the Islanders were the eighth seed, and they barely made the playoffs that year. They made it on the final day. In March of 2015, he gets Tyler Kennedy and Michael Neuvert. The team was second in the East at that time the trade was made. February 2016, he gets Shane Prince. 
Uh, his team was seventh in the East at the time of that trade. Uh, when they got Davidson this year, the Isles were ninth. Since July 2006, only four teams have made the playoffs under his watch. Only one of those teams won a series. And after the minor moves he made at the 2018 deadline, the Isles went on an eight-game slide pretty much all but any of their season. That was a season killer. And while they had offense, as documented throughout the season, defense and goaltending was nowhere to be found consistently. On six occasions this year, they, they got at least 40 shots on the other team's goalie. However, they gave up at least 40 shots, 20, count them, 20 times this year, and they surrendered 50 or more shots six times. Uh, they got six or more goals nine times this year on the other goalie, but they uh, got six or more goals against themselves on nine occasions, and on 22, on 22 occasions, they gave up at least five goals. The last time anyone gave up six-plus goals 12 times in a season Back in 08 or 09 when the Leafs did it 13 times. Like, it's mind-boggling how bad the defense and goaltending were. And you you talk about, you know, Yaroslav Halak and Christopher Gibson and Thomas Grice. Both of them have GAAs over three. However, it should be noted that Halak and I believe Gibson both had save percentages of 900 or better. Like, no better than 910, yeah. but better than 900. Uh, so, it's not like it was all their fault. They right. just didn't have enough defense. I thought you so were... Now, wait, you haven't said Josh was, I thought you were just going to say Josh yeah, was saying... So, okay. so, so now, now I'm getting transitioned to the defensive part. If they want to keep John Tavares, they need defense. Mm-hmm. And I'm almost kind of wondering if Josh was saying is the solution in New York because I think now they're going to have to trade one of their prospects to get some veteran help on defense. And I think Josh saying just became the odd man out, not necessarily for his quotes, but just for the way he's uh, kind of um, played himself into the organization because uh, there's, there's this quote from, Capitals forward Andre Burakovsky in a game against Washington. Caps could do whatever they want against the Islanders. Yeah. And and they like you look at Nick Letty as 42 points this year, minus 43. Yep. So when you have a minus 43 and you're you're the leading scoring defenseman, that's not a good sign. So defense is the important note, and defense is the important note that Joshua is saying addressed. Here's his quote. Uh, I love those guys. I want to make that clear. I know they're working hard, but I got sent down for defense. And what are they in goals against? I've only played 22 games up there this year. I don't think it's my fault. They really painted like it was my fault at the beginning of the year, and I didn't like that. I do have things I need to work on. My game is far from perfect. It can constantly improve. But I do think a lot of this stuff was unwarranted, especially in terms of the rope that other people were given. I understand I have a history, and that might be a factor, but it's frustrating to me. Yep. Now, it should be noted, when the Islanders had six players out, Osang was a healthy scratch at the AHL level, and that's why he wasn't recalled. So I do think this is a situation that needs to be addressed, not on the cameras, but needs to be addressed face-to-face. Yeah. And both the organization and the player himself, Josh Osang, need to be perfectly clear on what needs to be done. And if there's still a miscommunication 
uh, in the offseason yeah. or at the beginning of next season, they need to trade him. I'm not sure. I mean, I think there is uh, – there. Uh, I kind of – I kind of respect this move from Hosang because there's not a lot of players in the league who like calls out their team out in the public like this. Yeah, um, very few do. And he has a good point. It's like if you're going to send someone down for his defensive abilities, that's fine. You know that that's you know that's a normal thing to do for, to send someone down. But at the same time, if their defense isn't getting better, then why did you send them down? I did find this quote from Doug Wake, who's the coach. Um, and he's kind of, he's kind of disappointed by Ho Seng's comment. Um, he said, sure, it's eye-opening and an emotional thing for him. He wants to be in the NHL. That's where we want him. We have, we have never singled him out in that fashion. There's not a guy in this organization in the last year and a half that I spent more time with. Either I was disappointed in that. So, um, so I think there is, you know, so Waite has kind of publicly said that um, oh, I think he said that I think the natural reaction, the defensive reaction is to tell him to look in the mirror, look at his production, look at what he's done. Um, the other reaction should be from us. We should look in the mirror. We should all learn from these events and look and look to them. Most importantly, we should discuss it with him rather than discuss it through these cameras, and we will do that. So yeah. they're, they're going to talk to Joshua Singh and figure things out. Um, so I don't, I'm not necessarily sure. I know this is like all public stuff now, so I'm not sure what's going to happen now, Um, but yeah, I mean, there is, I mean, so kudos for uh, hosting to, like, publicly say something like this, because, you know, that's probably going to get him in trouble or something um, amongst the organization, and it looks like it kind of has, Um, but at the same time, you know, um, I don't know, It's, uh, it's an interesting thing, I feel like the Islanders are in trouble because they do need to fix their defense, and I think they'd be good to go, but I'm not sure how that's going to happen necessarily. And they so. need a legit number one goalie, too. Yeah. Alak and Grace, to, to me, just aren't getting it done. Exactly. Um, other teams that got eliminated, I guess um, Dallas hasn't officially been eliminated, but it looks but they're like. Close. But it looks like they're about to any second now. Um, so. Um, the or, other, hey, maybe they'll be eliminated by the time you listen to this podcast. That's certainly possible. The Rangers also got eliminated. Calgary, Carolina, and Dal- um, and and Carolina have all been eliminated as well. Um, those, I guess, weren't too surprising, except for maybe Calgary. Um, I guess they've also had some defensive issues as well later in the year. Um, Mike Smith got injured, and that was a big thing. But I don't know. I thought... I thought Calgary would pull it together eventually and figure things out, but I guess they didn't, um, and they're eliminated. Um, I think that yeah. And, and what's what's also interesting is what's going to happen to uh, the people that run this joint because yeah. you look at a lot of the players on this team. This team was too good to miss the playoffs. Yeah. And I really thought Mike Smith was going to be the answer, and and he was for most of the uh, year. But when he got back from injury, he did not look like himself. Yep. The Flames didn't look like themselves. And try as he might, Glenn Gullitson, stick tossing and practice aside, just couldn't get his team to play consistent hockey mm-hmm. down the stretch, and that's what cost him. Brad Treliving, the best move that he could do at the deadline was get Chris Stewart off of waivers from Minnesota. Yep. Uh, he yep. has a goal and two assists in seven games, so. They didn't really help their team at the deadline either. 
And I'm really wondering if this team is too good to miss the playoffs and there are better options at GM and coach available, you wonder if the time has run out on Glenn Gullitson and Brad for living. It'll be interesting to see how they address that during the offseason. Um, hey, Steve, remember when the uh, the the Flames uh, could have gone in uh, Marc-Andre Fleury? From, oh, yeah, I remember that, yeah. And I said that they should have they should have done that instead of get Mike Smith. Uh, looks, look who's in the playoffs right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, uh, there, that is a good point. They do, they, uh, speaking of goalie issues, they and, also And you, and you talk about, it's, I think what the bigger issue is just playing at home, too, because there was a time this year where their road record was stellar. Yep. You look at their lackluster home record, and you're just like, "Wow, that's what's keeping them out of the playoffs is their home record." Yeah, it's a good. Like point. that's a bad sign if you're playing like that at home ice. True. Um, I know the good news is though. I think John Gillies is playing some more. Um, he hasn't been exactly great, but this is kind of the time where you have to test out your future and see what you have in these guys. Um, yeah, they <coughs> uh, they recalled Spencer Fu as well yeah. from the AHL too. True. Um, let's, uh, let's see here, uh, other, in rapid fire, so this just happened, it's kind of fitting that this is on April 2nd, so it's not an April Fool's Day joke, um, the Sedins are retiring at the age of 37, both of them are retiring together, it's kind of fitting that, you know, they were drafted together, and now they're retiring together, um, they'll probably both get their numbers retired as well, because they're Canucks for life. And they'll probably, I, I, uh, I'm, I think they probably both will get into the Hall of Fame as well together. Um, yeah, I, I could see that as well. Just the chemistry yeah. and, and their place in NHL history. Um, you they know, a lot share of people are going to say, you know, all of the, you know, they didn't win a cup though. They right. were one game away from doing that, and they could have, they could have left. Both of them could have left to, to chase True. their dreams of getting a Stanley Cup, but they didn't. They stuck yeah. with the Canucks through good and bad, and hats off to them for doing that. Yeah, that's definitely admirable, and I think they are, you know, I'm, I'm not sure necessarily if they're Hall of Fame worthy, but uh, they're, they'll, they'll probably get in. I'm not sure if they're first ballot, per se, but they'll definitely get in. Um, yeah, imagine if one's a first ballot and the other's uh and the other goes oh, the year hilarious. after. I actually... <laughs> I've always, you know, now that it's out in the open, like, I'm not sure if we've ever talked about it. I guess Henrik is the better player, right? Or I guess Henrik is the more of the assist guy, the playmaker, and Daniel's more of the goal scorer. But, I don't know, I think Henrik is, is a, was the better player. Um, it's just the chemistry that they had, and yeah. just watching them on the ice, it's uncanny how they were able to find each other. True. And I guess it makes sense, considering the Canucks are now in full rebuild right now, um, and, you know, so that means that the Canucks will have $14 million off the cap. Um, the Sedins were set to be UFAs next year, so they would have had $14 million off the cap anyways, because they're both making $7 million um, each. So, um, I guess it just, I mean, I think there is something else where they wanted to play each other, play with each other, and um, on the same team. And I'm not sure if another team would be willing to give, um, like, you know, double the amount um, to the Sedins like that. So I think that also had something to do with why they retired. 
Yeah, um, I think that played a, a, a significant role as well. And yep. um, the Canucks are losing some leadership too because both of them had leadership roles. I can't remember who was the captain. One of the Sedins was. I think it's uh, Henrik. But okay. Daniel is the uh, was an alternate captain. Exactly. So now you wonder if they're going to go with the lease and just go four assistants or three assistants or whatever for a couple of yeah, years. Yeah, possible. Find out who their leader is because or I you can't, could just give it to I, Bo I Horvat. Really point to a guy on on this very young team and say that guy could be the captain. I think Horvat. Uh, could actually be a captain. I could see that happening. The, the problem with me of giving it to one of those young guys, especially just it, the fact that they're in rebuild mode, is you don't want to put too much leadership on a guy so soon. Yep. I, I just think it'd be too soon for Bo Horvat. And Isn't as much as I like Brock Messer, I, I think they're wise to give him a few more years as well. Isn't Unless this... he's really shown them that he can lead the team. Isn't this his third season, though? I thought this was Horvath. No, this is his first. Oh, no, I'm talking about Horvat. Yeah, probably second or third, yeah. It's his third year, I just looked. So this would be his fourth year. Yeah, I could see Horvat being a a captain in his fourth year. That's definitely possible. Definitely an assistant, I would say. Definitely an assistant. Uh, I think you'll be a captain. Um, We'll see. I'm going to give him the captaincy right now. I'm calling my shot. Um, (laughs) Oh, we forgot to do a wild card race before the rapid fire. Um, let's do that quickly here. Um, so the uh, wild card race—it's—it's it's kind of like a two, three-team race in the East. First off, the Boston Bruins are now first in the Atlantic, so congrats to them. Um, it's for the uh, for in the Eastern Conference. It's between three teams now. Um, it's the Flyers, Devils, and Panthers. Um, the Flyers and the Blue Jackets are actually tied um, in points, um, but the Blue Jackets have the tiebreaker. They're third in the Metro um, with 94 points, but the Devils also have 93 points. Um, all three of those teams have uh, have played 79 games, and the Panthers have 77 games, so... Um, but the Panthers have 86 points, whereas the next closest team, which is the Devils, is 93 points. So, um, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, I, w- I was thinking the Panthers could actually do it, but it looks like the Devils have kind of pulled ahead. Um, so the Panthers... Yeah, the Devils keep getting wins with Keith Kincaid, and uh, the, the Panthers have had a rough week, and... You look at the fact that they've got like four or five games left. They're playing the Bruins twice. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. I think Florida's run out of real estate. They're gonna they're gonna give the Devils hell, and they're gonna do whatever they can to get that wild card spot. But I think the damage has been done right now. Yeah, that's definitely possible. Um, and then um, in the Western Conference, uh, we it's a lot more tighter. Um, so the Wild haven't clinched yet, uh, their third spot, the Sharks and the Ducks haven't clinched yet in the Pacific, um, the Sharks have had chances to clinch though, so they're close, they're, they are close, they have 98 points, um, the Wild have 96, the Ducks have 95, and then currently, uh, the Kings and the Avalanche are in the wild card spot, the Kings have 94 points, the Avalanche have 93 points, and then uh, the Blues have 92 points, 
And then, as I mentioned before, that I thought it was guaranteed that the Stars were eliminated. They're pretty close, but they have 88 points with three games left. So They basically need to win out and hope for a lot of help. Exactly. So they're not officially eliminated, but they're they're pretty close. Um, out of those three teams, uh, out of those four teams, sorry, um, fighting for three spots, separated by two points, there's L.A., Anaheim, Colorado, and St. Louis. Who do you think is the odd uh, team out there? Um, I want to say the St. Louis Blues, um, but they just keep on winning, it seems like, even though they lost their last two, but... Um, it seems like that you know that you can't say no to them for some reason. Um, I don't know. I was. Uh, I'm gonna say probably the Avalanche, but um, I'm not. It's that's that's a tough, tough spot to say the least. Um, I think it's Colorado. That's gonna be the odd team out, and I'll tell you why. Barlamov has a low, upper, a lower body injury. He's done for the year. Okay. Eric Johnson is out for six weeks, and outside of their top line, I don't know if they can get it done offensively. So I think Colorado's gonna have the toughest road, and I think they're gonna miss out. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's. We'll see. I don't know. I think St. Louis also has some injury history and. Um, they also have some issues as well, considering they did trade Paul Stasny. But I am willing to admit when I'm wrong with that. But, um, I don't know. Just, uh, I don't know. I feel like they'll, they'll be tough. Um, they might be the odd team out as well. But we'll see. Um, now, and this is why I say Colorado as well, just on their schedule alone. They face yeah. L.A. tonight. Uh, they face the Gritty Ducks the night before on Sunday. Yeah. They're in San Jose on Thursday, and then they host St. Louis on a Saturday night. All four of those teams are in that wildcard race we're just talking about. True. So all of those teams are going to be desperate for wins. So um, yeah. that's that's why I say Colorado is going to be out, just the, because of the injuries and the schedule that they have. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, the... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, let's go to the rapid back to the rapid fire. Um, I just, we um, I found this stat. So this was on I think Thursday. So there were some stats that changed, especially since the Coyotes shut out the Blues. Speaking of which, um, last night um, six to nothing. In fact, um, but Anti Ranta has been really hot since January first. In fact, he's been the hottest goalie um, since that's, that time frame. Um, he has a stat, of, like I said, time, stats may have changed a bit, but he had a 1.94 GAA and a .938 save percentage. Uh, the next closest is Pecorine, who has a 2.02 GAA and a save percentage of 934. Save, um, so... Um, yeah, he's been really good, um, but that got kind of got us thinking about um, two teams um, who could bounce back next year. And the you know Clayton Keller's playing w- really well, Derek Stepan as well. Um, so it's kind of like the Coyotes are back. I think Steve mentioned this earlier on in the league um, in the um, in the year that you know the. Uh, 
the Coyotes are playing like what we thought they would play at the beginning of the season. Um, so, um, so let's uh, let's. I think we each have two teams, and I think I just spoiled one of yours, Steve. But two teams that could bounce back next se- season. Um, if you want to say your two right now, um, you can do that. Okay, uh, so my first team is, yeah, spoiler alert, the Coyotes. Um, Clayton Keller, uh, he took home Rookie of the Month honors for the month of March. He got six goals and 13 assists. That's 19 points in 17 games. Uh, big reason was uh, a massive point streak that surpassed 10 games. And then Antti Ranta, you talk about the best save percentage since the start of January, the best goals against average as well since the start of January. Uh, when you put him in the conversation as Rene, Flurry, Gibson, and Bobrovsky, that's a pretty good list to be on. Yep. Um, and I, I, I really think if Antti Ranta can stay healthy, this team can be a deadly yep. force. And Derek Stefan has played well. Goligoski started to turn it up. The Swedish law firm started to not turn to, it up a little bit as well. Not to mention uh, um, Dylan Strom. They're, they're, starting, they're starting to play like a good team. And not to mention Dylan Strom had uh, three assists last night. Um, he's actually yeah, he's starting going. to show he's starting to show positive signs at the yeah. NHL level. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, the the Coyotes are actually playing really well right now, which is good to see. This is I just wish they did this last season um, or they at the start of the season. But I think they would be on the cusp of a wild card if they had. If they were playing like this at the start of the year, I, I think they'd that be rough a three start spot, really killed them and they couldn't recover from it. I thought they'd be a three spot, but yeah. Um, <laughs> remember that? But yeah. 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 Remember that time Buffalo was going to be a, on the virtual wildcard spot too a couple years yeah, ago? Yeah, I know. I do remember that too. <laughs> Don't remind me. I remember it. I know. Uh, um, so who, who's the, the, your first team that you think is going to bounce back? Oh, I thought you, you were going with your two and then I was going to go with mine. But, no, um, you can go with yours because I don't want to spoil one of yours. Okay. Um, well, I was going to say probably the Blackhawks. Um, okay. I think they were one of my teams because I feel like they'll get – I mean, we're going to talk about them a little bit later on. Um the next topic, but hopefully they'll get Corey Crawford back. Uh, Duncan Keith and uh, Brent Seabrook have been have had their worst season by far, and I feel like they just can't get worse than that. Um, I don't know, and they also have Nick Schmaltz, DeBrincat, um, Hinostroza, um, those guys. I think they could. Um, you know, those are going to be the key guys. I think if those guys, um, you know, because, like, you know, um, if those guys can perform better than what they've been doing, um, you know, this year, I think, you know, that's some good depth along with Patrick Kane and um, all that, and Duncan Keith and stuff. So, um, and I think it, it a lot of the reason why the Blackhawks weren't doing so well was because of Corey Crawford, um, and I think there is something to that. Also, Dylan Sakura um, has been pretty good lately um, since he was called up. He has two assists in two games, so um, I don't know. I think, and if they can get, like, a, I think if they can fix their defense, 
um, in the off season. I think that they are um, well on their way of you know being a decent team this year. Yeah, defensive depth is going to be huge for them for sure. And, now you said you said that, uh, and also health as well. Yeah, because uh, they had Hosa out to start a bit think, of the season as well. I think that's going to be as well. I think that's going to be a key for them. Is if Crawford can get back to in net, I think they could be a pretty good team next year. And back at a hundred percent too. Exactly. Yeah. Now you mentioned off the air this Duncan Key stat. Well, I was going to I was going to include that later on in the show. Okay. Uh, so we'll we'll talk about Duncan Keith later on. All right. You want to hear my second team then? Um. Yes. Although I was just checking their cap situation because I think isn't Marion Hosa off the books next year? Or no? Yeah, that's a complex situation that I haven't been keeping track of. So I, mean, I don't know. And even if oh, not, no, no, they're probably has- still in cap. He has three more years left on his contract, so I guess there is something to deal with. Although, I guess they could keep on putting him on LTIR. But that doesn't count when you put him on in the offseason, so there is something to Or he just might retire. You never know. He could, yeah. Or they could just trade him. That's true, too. (laughs) Yeah, trade him to, like, Arizona. Give him another bad contract. Well, yeah, like, what Mark, what they, like, what... Happened to Mark Savard, I think, is another situation. So, yeah. Um, yeah. anyways, yeah, you can go on to your second team. Okay, uh, surely the Edmonton Oilers won't be as bad as they were this year. Like, seriously, they're too good to underperform this month, uh, uh, this much. Like, you look at both Connor McDavid and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, they, uh, they um, actually started playing on the same line for the past couple of weeks. Uh, on March 28th, Bob Stoffer tweeted this. Ryan Nugent Hopkins has five goals, seven assists, 12 points, and a plus 12 rating in 10 games played with Connor McDavid. He's proven to be a legit option as number 97's left winger. Been a consummate pro throughout his Oilers tenure, respected by his teammates for being selfless, and he gives his coaches options. And then three days before that, he tweets, McDavid, since RNH moved to his line, seven goals, eight assists, 15 points in eight games, and a plus 10 rating. Uh, Nuge with McDavid has four goals, five assists, nine points in eight games, plus 12 rating. Uh, over his last five games, Ty Ratty has three of each and a plus eight. Pontus Aberg has two goals, four assists, six points in those five games, also has a plus eight. And Cam Talbot won seven of eight with a 1.86 GAA and a 9.44 save percentage. So if they can limit the lulls, and keep having streaks like this. Edmonton's going to be fine. They need to address some defensive problems, obviously. And Cam Talbot needs to be more consistent in goal. But I really do believe the recipe for success is there. They just can't make too many regrettable moves. And I think if RNH can continue the success with McDavid, uh, maybe the possibility of him getting traded away goes down to zero because mm-hmm. – I really do think that um, in order for Edmonton to be good, they need to have someone to play alongside Connor McDavid. And if Ryan Nugent Hopkins is the guy, they need to find a suitable replacement for his current role. Because yep. if if RNH and McDavid make this team better, they need to stick with that line. They can't just separate. Yeah. <clears throat> um yeah, that's true. I think, you know, as long as you have McDavid on your team, it's like it's hard to count them out per se. 
The only thing with the Oilers is I'm I'm just not convinced that Chirelli can figure out the cap. Yeah. He kind of like. I'm sure a lot of people are thinking that way. Yeah, it's just like he already screwed up already, and like McDavid's ten million and uh, Drysaddle's uh, contract doesn't even start yet. So it's like I'm not sure necessarily how they're going to get all these pieces back together. Unless, you know, they have deals with, you know, like, unless they get guys from their draft pool. And I'm not necessarily convinced that they can do that yet. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it is tough to say, like, hey, the Oilers are um, officially done next year just because um, they do have McDavid. And we know what Cam Talbot's um, capable of. that also has something to do with it, so um, yeah, we'll see. Um, they can be a good team, but they can't wait for the future. The guys that they have need to play a role, right? Because if they can't play a role, they're not going to be any better. Okay, so my second team is all dependent on on what they do in the off season. Um, I might have to rescind this uh, team if they. Do something crazy, and I tell us this mystery team, Brent. Tell us, I'm curious because this team doesn't currently have a GM. I'm talking about the Carolina Hurricanes, Uh, um, because um, they. uh, I feel like the the Hurricanes have a great forward group. They have Sebastian Ajo, Tavo Taravainen, Jeff Skinner, Jordan Stahl. Even they got like, a solid top line. I'll give them that. Yeah, Justin Williams, Elias Lindholm even. Um, you know, they even have some good defensemen in uh, Noah Hannafin, Justin Falk, Brett Pesci, Jacob Slavin. Um, and they also have some good uh, depth guys with Justin Williams, Victor Rask. Um, you know, so they have a good defensive group. They have depth. And they have a good forward group as well. The only issue is their goalie situation. Uh, Scott Darling wasn't good this year. You have to, they had to rely on Cam Ward once again. Um, although Cam Ward hasn't been terrible, um, but not great either. He has a 905, I'm looking here, he has a 905 save percentage and a 2.75 GAA. But, um, but Scott Darling had a 3.15 GAA and a save percentage of 8.87. So this is why I'm saying it, this all depends on what they do in the offseason. I know they have, they're in a GM search right now. Um, and there is, like, I think there was something um, where the uh, owner, Tom Dundon, was going to, like, offer the, he said that the GM role is, not going to be a high-paying position, um, which is kind of ridiculous when you think about it compared to, like, you have to compare it to the rest of the GMs in the in the world who are, like, making, like, a lot of, mo- like, a lot more money. Um, I forget the exact amount, but it's kind of unheard of to, like, um, like, you know, no, no possible, like, there's word that the GM situation is that no one really wants to be a GM there just because of Tom Dunnan's price on the GM role. Um, so, um, 
So that that's what leaves me worried is like if like a GM who you know like I feel like any like there's only like 31 positions to be a GM and if you're struggling to get to be a GM for this team which is actually has some promising pieces to it um if you're struggling to get a GM for that um I don't know there's something there's something iffy going on now. Um, so, um, so I, I, I feel like you either have to hope that Scott Darling can figure things out or you have to sign, go, go back into this, the free agent signings. Uh, cause you can't rely on, uh, Cam Ward again, uh, for another season. And, they also have plenty of prospects and a lot of prospect depth where I That's think they true. could afford to make a trade if it means they get that goaltender. Okay. But they also have a goalie of the future named Alex Delkovich, and he's put up some solid numbers in his right. second AHL season two. But, but he's not ready to get the range just yet. They need a solution for the yeah. next couple of years at least. That's what I was about to say. I don't think he's ready yet. But um, that is a good point. They do have some prospects, but... I don't know. I think that this GM situation kind of has me worried a bit. Yeah, yeah, um, a little bit. So um, I'm not necessarily sure if like Carolina can get it done, but um, you know it could be like a similar situation to Hellebuck or what's happening with Ranta now is where like after a couple once they get adjusted, then they figure, start figuring it out, or it's just that Scott Darling just isn't that good. And we all overrated him when he was in Chicago, so that's certainly possible. A um, part of me looks at Ron Francis and goes, "Gee, how happy do you think he is right now?" Yeah, it's like they they dismissed him and they came and find a replacement for him. Exactly. Um, so, and on top of that, he's the president now. And he's the president. Yeah, he's even in a bigger position now. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I'm not really sure what Tom Dunnan's thinking, really, because it's like. I forget. It's unconventional, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, I wish I had more specifics, uh, but there is, yeah, it's just, um, it's a strange situation for them. But I do have some hope for them just because, you know, they do have a lot of talent up front. Um, it's just, they, you know, they just need to figure out their goaltending situation and they think they'd be good to go. Um, so... Um, yeah, we'll see, and and that's why I give that like qualifier, like of if they find a goaltender, um, one goaltender who they could find um, is Scott Foster. Um, he's a 38 year old accountant, um, and he got, got to play goalie because of an emergency backup situation. Apparently, um, there was a um, a Forsberg got injured. Um, just bef- in warm-ups, I think. Um, and well, then- it's actually off the ice. You know, uh, all the NHL teams, they have this yeah. off-ice tradition called a game of soccer. Oh, did he get it? He playing soccer. That's how he got hurt. Really? He got hurt playing soccer in the tunnel. Holy shit. That's funny. You have to bleep that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> um, yeah, and-, and then, so after that, he was basically told, okay, put your equipment on, you're the backup. And then, um, and then the goalie uh, blinking on the guy um, who was in net, but he got injured. Colin, uh, Colin Delia was his name. Okay, but he got injured in yep. the middle of that game, 
And then uh, in like I think it was in the third period he got injured. Um, and then anyways, that leaves room for Scott Foster, who made seven saves on a Winnipeg team against Winnipeg, which is no easy feat considering Winnipeg is Winnipeg. But he played 14 minutes. He had seven saves. It's just a it's kind of a cool story. It's just like you know sending like just a random Joe. Um, who, uh, just to play a professional game like that. Um, so, um, and especially since, like, Winnipeg clinched by then and uh, the Blackhawks were eliminated, it's just, a, it's just a cool moment that, like, that will probably never happen again. Um, so these emergency goalie situations are always, like, funny. It's like, hey, this, like, 42-year-old is an emergency backup situation. Yeah. And, you know, because they, they should never be in the game. And yet... Um, yeah, they just put it in for, like, 10, 15 seconds or a minute or something like that. But they needed yeah. Scott Foster on this night, and he played over 10 minutes of hockey. And they won the game, too. Um, although yeah, he stopped I, everything too. There are like quality chances as well. Yeah. So, um, so I, I, I'm I'm kind of jealous of this Scott Foster guy. Um, but uh, yeah. So he gave uh, so many beer leaguers false hope just now. It's yeah. just like so. You're saying if I grind it out in the beer leagues, I might get my shot. Right, Fantastic. Yeah, exactly. I uh, but I love this story too. I, I yeah. just love it. Um. It's also kind of funny, too, considering, like, the other guy um, in Winnipeg's net was Eric Comrie, who just let in yeah. six goals. So imagine how he's thinking. He's like, great, I'm losing to, like, I lost to a, a 38-year-old accountant, <laughs> and I give up six goals. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, On top of that, I should also mention the Chicago Steel, the USHL, is actually trying to sign Scott Foster now. Wow. That's kind of cool. That's a cool so story. That that one performance could revive his career. That yeah, uh, from 2006 to 2007, elite prospects acknowledged didn't exist. Yeah, and now he's and, he's and now all of a sudden he he might actually get a contract with the hockey team. Yep, that's amazing. Um, so I put Duncan Keith in here because it's Chicago Blackhawks, so I feel like it transitions well. Yeah, although I probably should have dumb my second team as the Chicago Blackhawks, and that would be a perfect transition all the way through. But um, anyway, so we mentioned this before, but Duncan Keith um, has has one goal in 79 games this season. Um, Keith has put up 183 shots on, good, on goal um, um, in that time, which means only one of them went in. Um, if he doesn't score in the last three games of the season, which is how many games left um, that the Blackhawks have, he'll break the NHL record for lowest non-zero shooting percentage. He's currently at a .5 shooting percent um, pace, um, which is kind of crazy, or mind-boggling, to say the least. Um, what are the odds that Scott Foster can play defense, too? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, like, well, like play alongside Duncan or Keith. score a goal. Yeah, I don't know. It's it. Um, but yeah, it, it, this is definitely a season that all Blackhawks fans, and especially Duncan Keith, I, mean, I would assume he's a is a Blackhawks fans, um, would like to forget. I, I um, yeah, 
But uh, except for Scott Foster, except for Scott except Foster, for Scott Foster. Yeah. although Patrick Kane hasn't been terrible either. But yeah, you're right. Um, but collectively been, as a whole, this season has been a crapshoot for yeah, Chicago. Exactly. So um, yeah, I don't know. We'll uh, we'll see how um, if that happens. But that's like a crazy stat when you think about it. Just you shot yeah, especially one. Especially considering we're talking about a Norris Trophy winning defense. Exactly. And like a he was like one of the better defensemen last year. And now all of a sudden he can't score a goal. It's just that's like really unlucky. Um, yeah, I, I he might be injured. Maybe he's injured. That's that's certainly possible. So uh, some injuries. Speaking of injuries, um, Jake Muzzin has an upper body injury. He's week to week at this point. Um, you, uh, yep. Uh, Ryan Suter. Um, has a lower body injury. We're back to um, talking about like if it's an upper body or lower body, just non-specifics here. Well, I'll, I'll be more specific, actually. Uh, what uh, Ryan Suter is dealing with, let me take a look at my it notes. says that he's slated to have uh, an Ryan MRI Suter today. Ryan has... Uh, I thought I put this in there. Oh, yeah, fractured fibula. I don't know, definitely, that's what he's got. Um, it's he says it, it says here that he's slated to have an MRI today, so um, on Monday. So we'll see his t- his timetable. But currently, he's out indefinitely. Um, you yeah. guys may know more than we do um, when you listen to this. At the time, I heard the news that uh, the report was they fear that he has a fractured fibula. Yes. So I guess they're just getting second confirmation, but. If that's what he has, that's a very big blow to Minnesota, who are also dealing without Jared Spurgeon right now. Yep. Um, Matthew Kachuk, um, who has been injured for the last couple, I think the last couple months, but um, he has an upper body injury. Um, and then uh, Glenn Goldson said that he's likely, he isn't likely to return before the end of the season. So. And with the, with the Flames out of contention, I don't blame them. And it yeah. looks like Brody's not coming back either. Yeah, that was the next on my list as well. Um, he, he also has an upper body injury, um, and he's been out for a while too. Um, so maybe that's also why the Flames uh, didn't make the playoffs, it's just all the injuries. He also had Sean Monahan, Travis Hamanick as well, uh, Christopher Stieg, although he's not as great. But um, so I don't know, there is something to that. Uh, I think towards later in the year, it definitely hurt them, yeah. especially with the Mike Smith one. But for the most part, I think uh, Christopher Stieg was only the major injury that they had to deal with all year. Right. Um, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, well, it's just, it's, it's just all perfect. the injuries came at once at True. the worst possible time. Yep. Um, we also have the Frozen Four going on right now. Um, yep. Although I guess they start on Thursday, it's uh, a couple of different te- new teams: uh, Minnesota Duluth uh, versus Ohio State. I think Ohio State had a team a couple like they they just had a team a couple years ago, so that's kind of cool. Uh, Didn't many wasn't many Duluth in the tournament last year? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although I don't think they won last year, but they were. In no, the they tournament. didn't. No. Um, Michigan and Notre Dame is another team. Notre Dame was good last year. Um, Michigan usually is pretty good, but they're never necessarily great. But um, it's kind of cool that like there are all these guys 
or all these teams, like, there's so many different te- schools that can win. It's not like North Dakota, BC, um, BU, uh, um, every year. It's just, you know, now there's just new blood in the works. Um, also, these are, t- uh, four of them are in the Big Ten. I think Notre Dame counts as a Big Ten school, even though they're not, you know, in, um, in football and basketball that we're used to, they're counted as an independent school. Or, no, Notre Dame's known as a ACC school in, um, in basketball, but in, um, in football, they're independent, but in hockey, they're counted as a Big Ten school. Um, so you have Ohio State, Michigan, and Notre Dame. It'd be kind of cool to see Ohio State and Michigan play uh, for the championship because they have a rivalry in, like, every sport. So, um, so that yeah, would be especially cool football. It's just, like, yeah. that, that, would be, that would be the matchup that I would want to see as yeah. well. Uh, just because Ohio State, like, are a relatively new team, Yep. Their penalty kill wasn't even top 20 in the country last year, and now it's like one of the best, and Michigan was below 500, and now they're in the Final Four. Yep. But it's it's just like, can you imagine just that football rivalry, and Michigan's like, we're finally going to win our first title since 1998, and Ohio State's like, nope. Yep. Uh, so some players that are um, good in a lot, like some players to look out for, uh, Ohio State has Tanner Lazinski. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, he's a Phila- Philadelphia Flyers prospect. Uh, he has um, he has forty six points in forty games um, this season for the the Buckeyes. Uh, Cooper Marudi Marodi, who's an Oilers prospect for Michigan. He's he has fifty points in thirty nine games. That's uh, that's pretty good. Um, I'm just looking up th- this quickly here. So Minnesota Duluth has uh, Riley Tufty, um, who's a Dallas prospect who has twenty nine points in forty games. Scott Perunovich, I think that's how you pronounce his name. I don't think he has. Yeah, he doesn't have a uh, team affiliated yet. Uh, but he has 30, he's their highest point scorer, um, and he's a defenseman, uh, 36 points um, in 40 games. And then lastly, I think Notre Dame has a couple of players as well. Let's see here, Jake Evans, who is a Montreal Canadiens yep. prospect. Um, he is their top scorer. He has 42 points in 38 games, um, Andrew Oglevy, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, he doesn't have a, um, an, a team yet, but he has 36 points in 34 games. So um, so those are some guys you can look out for. Andrew Peak, I think I've heard of him before. He's on Notre Dame as well. He's a Blue Jackets prospect. He's a defenseman, um, and he has 14 points in 37 games. He was even in the World Juniors as well, so um, so there there those are some guys to look forward to. Um, if you want to watch, I think their games are on Thursday, um, so um, there's that. Um, let's see here. Um, speaking, I, I'm not really gonna say who I think is gonna face off in the finals and who's gonna win because yeah. I don't watch uh, college hockey as much as you do. 
I don't um, really watch that I much either. I wouldn't be surprised with, with any of the four possible matchups, but yep. Ohio State-Michigan is the one I want to see, just I, because of the rivalry alone. I should be clear, I don't really watch a ton of college hockey, um, but I do. since I do live in Boston, I am up on like the hockey e-schools, so BC, BU, yeah. Harvard, um, although Harvard's an ECAC. So I do Northeastern, know, Northeastern. Um, so I do know like those guys, but I'm not like so much up on like. You're not invested heads. on everything else. Okay. Exactly. So, um, you know, if I'm if I know, um, like I've heard of some of these guys, but not like. Yeah. You still know more than me, buddy. Still okay. know more than me. Yeah. Um, let's go to the Bruins send segment. I always forget who starts out first, but. I think I started out last last week, so you can go this week. All right. So uh, Ottawa played the second half of a home-and-home with Carolina. They gave up a series of goals that cost them the game. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Bobby Ryan tied it up in the second period after Warren Fogle's first NHL goal gave the home side a one nothing lead. And uh, then the Hurricanes scored two goals in a span of a minute 38 um, and they didn't relinquish that lead. They went on to win by a score of 4-1. to one. On the plus side, Ben Sexton played his first NHL game in the losing effort, and that is noteworthy because his father, Randy, has been with the organization since the early years, so a special moment for Randy and his family as well. Um, player to make his NHL debut in a Sense jersey this year. Uh, so far, uh, the Sens have used 42 players at some point in the season, which I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Probably, given the record, that's a bad thing. Uh, Christian Molinen also impressed me with some of the plays he made throughout the course of this game. Uh, so there's that. Ben Harper, however, didn't look so hot at times on that Fogel goal, uh, the opening tally that opened the scoring. He gets beat by the rookie, who, to Fogel's credit, he made a good move on Harper, but at the end of the day... If there are other defensemen that are looking better than you, it's likely that your playing time is going to take a hit. And for Ben Harper, it did the next three games. He was scratched. Um, and that's largely because the Sens got Eric Carlson back. Uh, he returned uh, against the New York Islanders, didn't play against Carolina, uh, actually got on the score sheet. But before he did, uh, the Sens were outshot. Uh, by a count of 15 to eight in the first period, somehow they had a two to one lead in the second. The Isles got outshot 13 to seven, but it was actually the visitors who got two goals and a three to two lead heading into the third period. Sens get a lucky break to even things up in the third period, but shortly after that, uh, they coughed up that equalizer about a minute later and uh, ended up falling to the Islanders four to three. Uh, in what Guy Boucher calls a winnable game. And uh, the reason I think it's a winnable game, because I didn't think Mike Condon was able to make the timely save when they really needed it. That second period, it's a time in the game where Ottawa hasn't played well all year. And the one time they do play well, they did not get a timely save from their goalie. Uh, two goals on seven shots, and that was ultimately the turning point in that game. On the plus side, because... When your team is struggling, you got to look at the positives, right, Brett? Yeah. Uh, Bobby Ryan and Matt Duchesne got three points apiece. Nice. Uh, and as I mentioned, Eric Carlson got on the score sheet uh, in his return to the lineup. So then we go to the Florida game. The Sens know they're playing a desperate team um, 
who had also just played the night before, lost against Toronto. Uh, and after losing that game, Florida needed this victory to keep pace. Uh, after a scoreless first period, Pacho gets his 13th to open the scoring. Florida answers with two goals in a span of a minute 31 to take the lead. Then uh, Magnus Pajarvi ties the game with his eighth of the season, just 16 seconds into the third. That ties the game at two, ends up forcing OT. And then Pajo in OT wins it with 16 seconds left. Uh, and as a matter of fact, his penalty shot goal was the NHL's third penalty shot goal in overtime this season. Marks the first time in NHL history that three penalty shot goals uh, have decided the game in uh I've been scored in a single campaign, uh, not just win the game in overtime. So that's interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, and if you want another stat to show how superhuman uh, per TSS Dean Brown, despite having played only 68 games, Carlson leads all defensemen in average points per game and even strength points. No defenseman in the top 10 points for race who has played fewer games than Carlson at this point. And on to that stat with this tweet, uh, which reads, Carlson exited his zone with possession of the puck 21 times in that game alone. A single game high for any player in the last two years. 21 yeah. controlled zone exits. Like, I, I know you got a lot of good defensemen in Boston there, Brett, but how many of them can do that? Not many. Like, Carlson is a freak of nature. Um... Of course, like the entire season, Carlson isn't enough to get the team wins. Every night, Sens get blanked on Saturday by Detroit 2 to nothing. went 0 for 5 with the extra man. And to Detroit's credit, they beat Pittsburgh a couple of nights before, so they're no slouch. Really as dominant as they used to be, another winnable game for the Senators. They didn't get the win. Uh, taking a look at their schedule this week, they host Winnipeg and then conclude the year with a three-game road trip that begins in Buffalo. Up, of course, in good old Boston, Massachusetts. And if they drop all four of those decisions, they'll have at least top three odds to win the draft lottery. So, again, another positive to take away. Now, the Sens did have some off-season news. Uh, they uh, made a college sign. A CCHL 50-goal scorer, Andy Sturts, to an entry-level contract. He's got a bit of hype to him as well. He led the Penn State Nittany Lions in scoring during his junior year. He had 40 points, including 14 goals. Uh, the 5.8 presence from Buffalo, New York, scored 54 goals over three years with the club, finished with 104 points in 111 games. And his 54 tallies have also made him the all-time leading goal scorer in the history of Penn State's hockey program. Before that, before I wrap up the segment, can you guess who has UT Melnick's back? Uh, well, I already know the answer, so... I don't know if you want me to spoil it or not. Go ahead, spoil it. Don Cherry. Yeah, Graves has Melnick's back. How about that? So uh, last week on Coach's Corner, uh, here's a little bit of what Don Cherry had to say. Quote, I'm not even going to bother doing his uh, voice because that would be unprofessional, and frankly, everyone's done it already. So I'm just going to go ahead and read the quote. Here it is. Here's a guy who spends millions of dollars that people don't show up to the rink. They had a winning club last year, one shot away from getting to the finals, and they still didn't sell out. He's nuts to even stay. He pours millions of dollars into the franchise, and what do they do? They give him a hard time. Quebec's even better. He'd sell out Quebec in a heartbeat. 
to that, Post Media's Don Brennan challenged Cherry on his subject matter of the sense in his column a few days later, basically told him to get his facts right, and a local radio host named Rick Gibbons tweeted, Hey, Ron and Don, those community rings were not funded by Melnick. They were built by the Sens Foundation with funds raised by, among other things, 50-50 draws. That's not Melnick's money. It comes from the fans. And then if you want to add another person's opinion to things, how about a former owner? Bruce Firestone, the first owner uh, in Ottawa Senators history, couldn't even sit through Don Cherry's rant. He turned it off halfway through. Uh he, he does say that he's not a fan of the Melnick outbill boards because um, he said any hockey owner that tells you that it doesn't bother him or her what the newspapers say is really probably not being frank. I'm sure Eugene is hurt by those billboards. Um, so that's what he said about the Melnick thing. At the same time, he doesn't agree with what Don Cherry said, and he points this out to Don. This is a very good hockey market, has proven to be a very good hockey market, and anytime you live in a smaller area like Ottawa and you're competing against major centers like Toronto, New York, or Montreal, and you can rank in the top 10 in attendance and revenue categories, I think it has proven itself. Uh, because at one time, the Sens were, I believe, number 6 in attendance, according to what Firestone said. And this wasn't too long ago. So it's not that the Sens fans are ungrateful and don't care and hate Eugene Melnick's guts. They're just, they just want to be heard. And I've, I, I, I would be hurt if I was Melnick to hear stuff like that, but I would also be willing to listen. And hosting some town halls basically tells me he's willing to listen or at least making the effort to listen because if you care about the organization that much, you need to care about what people have to say, even if you don't like what they have to say. And when you're not getting enough people into the stands, I think you need to listen even more. Because at the end of the day, if you don't get the fans' attention and they can't get your attention, yeah. then there's going to be eventually no attention given to this team. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah. I feel like I never really, I know why Don Cherry exists and stuff, but I never, I always take what he says for a grain of salt, um, basically, so I don't know, but um, I guess he does kind of have a point in terms of, like, supporting the team, um, but I don't know. What 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 is your thoughts on it? I, I think it's a problem with no easy answer, and the only way to even come close to an answer is by talking about it and not guessing what could work and what won't work if anyone if anyone no one knows how to get the fans more invested into this team by actually going to the games than the fans because eugene melnick is the owner he's not an average fan he doesn't have a fan budget because he's a freaking millionaire yeah so in order to really understand what the fans are saying to really understand what the problems are, you need to speak with the fans. True. And the fact that he's holding these town halls hopefully yields results. And they've got to. Yeah, that's a good point. Because if they build results, there isn't going to be an easy solution. Yeah, that is a good point. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm not really sure what else to say, but yeah, I guess that is... It is a good start that he is talking with fans. That's true. Um... 
Yes. Also, uh, before before uh, I, I throw it over to you, um, tip of the hat to the OHL's Ottawa 67s. Their season is over. They lost in the first round in five games. Okay. Uh, Hamilton's a really good team. Ottawa gave them everything they had. It just wasn't enough, and uh, hope to see them back at it next year. What happened with your Bruins this week? Yeah, so we have a couple of news stories here. I think I'll start with um, Marshawn and Chara to start things okay. off. So Chara got signed, uh, re-signed for one year, five million um, next year. I think it's so that's one more one more million dollars um, that he was that's paid this year, which is a little bit strange. But I am glad that we have him back uh, this year. I think it's more just in terms of the factor that you know I kind of would would rather have him signed for a little bit less, and that's what I thought, but I am glad that he is he is back in the fold, because I think he, he's done wonders for Charlie McAvoy and uh, Carlo, who are both injured now, but um, I think there is, like, um, I think he has embraced this leadership mentor type role, and I think that um, that's kind of done wonders for the team overall. Um, yeah. Not just McAvoy, but Carlo as well. Like last year, Carlo was really good. I mean, McAvoy's been really good this year too. Um, so, um, so I think there is something to that. Um, I'm not so much concerned about the fact that he is 41 years old and he's going to be 42 next year. He kind of is just a freak of nature, um, and he's always he always has been. So, um, I don't know. We'll see how that goes, but. Um, for now, he you know he looks in good shape, and you know his his um his conditioning is un, is is amazing. So there is something to that. Um, also, I'm, I'm not sure if you have any um, opinions on that, but um, I was going to go to the what Marcus Johansson said on Brad Marchand. Um, if you don't remember, in I think it was in February. Uh, Marshawn hit Marcus Johansson. It was, I thought it was a little, I wasn't sure if it was intentional, but um, it was definitely reckless and something that Marshawn should be aware of more. But um, Johansson was asked by the athletics, Corey Masiak, of what did he think of the hit? Johansson said it was stupid. There's nothing else to say about it. There was no point in doing that. There was no hockey play whatsoever. It's sad to see there are still guys out there trying to hurt other guys. It's sad. It's stupid. I'm hoping it doesn't come to him ending someone else's career before it's enough. It's not why we play the game. There are obviously situations where to try to hit someone to make the hockey play and it goes wrong. Then there are plays like this that has nothing to do with hockey. It's sad to see. I guess I'm unfortunate to be on the receiving end of that. And then... Um, then he was asked it. He was suspended for five games. Do you think that was enough? And Johansson says, "Ah, not really, considering this was the ninth time he's been suspended or fined. Like I said, you hope that it doesn't come to him ending someone's career before it's enough. That's all I can say. I'm trying to put that behind me and get back to feeling like normal again. That's all I can do. Um, I mean, he does have a point. If you find Marsha- Marshawn's making a ton of money, so it's not like if you find him five thousand dollars." That's not really going to, like, show him. Right. It's not going to change his behavior overnight. Exactly. And 
as we'll find out, as I have um, in the last game, he was fined $5 million for a cross-check to Andrew McDonald. Um, five grand. Five grand. Five grand. Bruins fans will probably call him $5 million, but no, five grand. <laughs> I, I did say, wait, did I say $5 million again? Yeah, you said $5 million. Damn it. <laughs> five grand, okay. Five million would send a message for sure because that's pretty yeah. much all the money he would make in a year. Yeah. But five grand is what he got. Five grand. Uh, Take away a few zeros. Anyways, Marshawn said um, to to what Johansson was, to, you know, responded um, saying, he's entitled to his opinion. I understand he's frustrated with the situation. I would be as well. I feel really bad about how things played out. But again, very happy to see that he's back out on the ice. And hopefully he's playing soon. Um, this this should be interesting considering that the as it stands right now, the Bruins are set to play the Devils in the playoffs. Um, if the playoffs were to start today. Um, so I, I am, there is a part of me that hopes that Marshawn isn't targeted if it does come to that. Um, but... Like, I don't know. I feel like a, the Devils would be stupid to target Marshawn, especially in a playoff game like that. Um, well, but I don't know. yeah, the Devils have really got to pick your poison because, right. like, as an underdog team, yep. um, that would be probably not favored to win the series. Yeah. The last thing New Jersey can do is shoot themselves in the foot like that. True. Um, so, so there is part of me. And then on the other hand, it's just like, I don't know, I guess – they have every right to be angry. So, um, there is, um, yeah, I mean, I think as for Marshawn's play, I think we've said this, it seems like it's ad nauseum at this point for us, but, you know, like, I love Brad Marchand. We're a pro Brad Marchand podcast here. Um, however, I don't know. I feel like enough is enough. It's like, he, he can't be keep on pulling this stuff He's way too good to be doing this kind of stuff. And, like, you know, Marcus Johansson does have a point. If you're going to fine him $5,000, that's not going to do anything. He's going to still cross-check Andrew McDonald when it's far too late in the play. Um, to You know, he's still going to pull off all this stuff that he gets away with. You know, like, I'm sure refs have had enough of him. You know, sometimes he embellishes stuff. You know, he dies. Um, and that's part, and that's partly yeah. why you know, you know, it's like a fire suspension. So it's like, oh, it's yeah. because Brad Marchand, yeah, because he's got a freaking reputation that he's been building on. Right. He doesn't know it, but no, he I has. know. I know, and it's like I do get annoyed whenever they don't call things on Brad Marchand. But then you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, well, I guess it serves him right because he does get away with, like, he does pull all this stuff all the time now and it, there needs to, he needs to be punished more severely. Otherwise he's not going to like do it. You know, I don't know if he'll ever actually learn from this, you know, like I think back to like how Corey Perry earlier in his career, where he, he had a lot of questionable hits like this and reckless behavior. And it seems like he's toned it down a bit. Same with James Neal. Um, so I like to think that Brad Marchand's going to be kind of like that. But at the same time, I'm not. This has been going on for the past three years now, four years, his entire career basically. That you know, I'm not really sure if he's ever going to learn, 
or just to not do that stuff. And, I mean, I get that it's a part of his game. He is a pest. And that is kind of like, you know, you love to hate him. And, you, you know, you would love him if you were on his team and all yeah, that. Yeah. But, I don't know. It's just, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I feel like if, if he wasn't on the Bruins, I'd hate his guts. He'd be my least favorite player <laughs> in the world. So, I feel like it's hypocritical of me to defend him. Um, I was I, I defended him for the New Jersey, like, for his Marcus Johansson stuff. I know he shouldn't necessarily, like, I'm, I'm not sure if it was intentional or not. It did look pretty bad, I'll admit. But, like, and it was a bang, bang play, yeah. so maybe that I can buy that. But, like, this yeah. this incident against Philly where it's, like, away from the play, it happens a full second and later. And he, like, intentionally and hit him. And he just gets cross-checked. Like, yeah. come on. And he intentionally did it, too. It's just, like, yeah. I know, like, I, I got more, because I get angry online, I guess, <laughs> where, like, people were comparing Brad Marchand to Matt Cook. And that, like, set me off. Where no, it's just a like difference, okay? Matt yeah. Cook can't score like Brad Marchand. Yeah, and that's my point. And then I guess, like, and that's what I've been saying. And it's like Matt Cook, like, intentionally tries to injure players. And then, and then, and then the other people were saying, it's like, but if Brad Marchand couldn't score, you, you know, you wouldn't be saying this. And it's like, yeah, probably. But, like, Matt Cook, like, intentionally tries to injure players. Whereas Brad Marchand just does it because, you know, he's he's a pest. You know, he, he that's his thing, I guess. It's it's not like it's total it's like different, you know? Um they're just different roles. And so that's what got me annoyed too, and I don't know. I'm I'm get, I'm getting mad. <laughs> I think the but, worst thing that can happen for Bruins yeah. is if this happens in a playoff situation and he has to miss a meaningful amount yeah. of time in a playoff series. It's true. Because they cannot afford this kind of stuff in the middle of a playoff I know. series. I was, I was thinking about this. Is like, you know, Brad Marchand has, let's see here, I think he has, he has an unreal point per game percentage right now. He has 84 points in 64 games. That's, yep. that's basically, uh, that's, 20 more points than he has games played, um, which is absolutely incredible. Like, he's a top 10 player. I was arguing top 5, but I think that might just be a Bruin homerism. Um, yeah. And that's that's incredible. Um, but, like, he's never going to get that respect uh, um, if he doesn't, if he, like, keeps on pulling this S-word. Um I can't think of another word, so I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna bleep my own self out. But you know, it's, um, it it just can't happen, and I don't know. It it just frustrates me that he uh, he does this stuff, and so I feel like a hypocrite if I like say like, oh yeah, this is fine, and if like another player intentionally does the same thing, then I can't like bash them in. So that would make me hypocritical if I. Um, said that, like, what he's doing isn't, um, I don't approve of it, but... I think it's, I think it's starting to get to the point where he's starting to yeah. hurt the Bruins more when he does something like this, Yeah, and that's why it's starting to become more irritating, at it's least true. that's what I think. Well, like, like, that's what happened, like, last, the like, two seasons ago, where he was suspended for three games, and he missed the end of the game. Uh, end of the season, and we probably, 
that was another reason why we didn't make the playoffs was because we didn't have Brad Marchand on our team, basically. And so that was that was definitely annoying, um, for sure. Um, anyways, let's go to the game recaps. We have five games to get to. And you had a lot of big wins, too. Yep, um, and a lot of players who returned. Uh, so David Pasternak um, scored in the second period. This is a Minnesota. Um, this was on Sunday. Uh, David Pasternak uh, got his 30th goal uh, from Bergeron and Brad Marchand. Uh, and then um, it was kind of a, it was a pretty even matchup I re- from what I remember. It felt like a years ago. Um, and, uh, and then Miko Koivu scores in the third period. Speaking of Brad Marchand, he gets an OT goal. Um, I think this was his fifth game-winning goal. Um, and of the season. gets another one, I think it's the NHL season high career. Yeah. So, um, so he has that going for him. Um, Tuka Rask was uh, pretty good, too. He saved 24 shots. Staylock had uh, saved 26, so it was fairly even. That just shows how even. Kind, kind of like the Blues game where it's just like dull and boring, but you find a way to get to overtime, you get a point, and yep. only this time the Bruins actually get the extra one. Especially in this game where we have where we didn't have McAvoy, Rick Nash, uh, DeBrus, Chara, and Bacchus. Um, so this was you know this was a kind of a good win, especially since the Wild are you know a pretty good team. Um, yeah. Then we played Winnipeg. Um, this was kind of exciting too, um, it's because we uh, we had Kadobin in net, but they had Hellebuck, so we were already in a disadvantage. Um, but we managed to get them into a shootout, so that's impressive enough. Uh, Brandon Tanev. Oh, this was, this was, this, this reminds me. So this was, uh, like, the refs basically were full, in full force in Winnipeg's favor in this game. Because there was... So anti-Bruins is what you're trying to say. Yeah, basically. I'm not really sure why, but, like, the first goal, like, like they never explained it, but the, a ref called it off. Like, he signaled to call it off, and um, there was no evidence that the puck went into the net. Um, yet, like, they somehow called it a goal still, and, like, like the, we still don't have an explanation of how that was a goal. Um, so that was annoying and frustrating, but Ryan Donato ties it up in the end of the first period. Um, then there was just a ton of, like, non-calls throughout the entire game where, like, the Bruins just were, um, like, they should have called it on the on the Jets, but they didn't. Um, that was frustrating. Josh, oh, um, okay, that reminds me later. Uh, Brandon Tanev scores another second period goal, uh, his second of the night. Joe Morrow scores towards the end there. And then Josh Morrissey um, hits. Um, so, of course, Brad Marchand, who stirs some stuff, he was hitting, he hit, uh, like, it was, it was uh, Shifley, I think, it was Shifley, it? yeah. And then later on, like a couple of seconds later, Josh Morrissey, like basically, um, boards uh, Matt Grizzlick um, into the boards, like uh, Grizzlick. Yeah, on the numbers, right? Yeah, and Grizzlick fell really awkwardly um, on the ice. 
And uh, that should have been a game, you know, he, Marcy should have been suspended. Um, that was, uh, and all he got was a five-minute major. Um, and, like, I, I thought he was going to be suspended after this game. Even Jack Edwards, when he got out of the box in the third period, it was funny because he said, uh, Winnipeg fans should um, should uh, anticipate, uh, uh, keep track of this, uh, you know, look forward to Josh Morrissey some more in this third period, or relish it, because they're, you're not going to see him for that much longer. <laughs> because, you know, Do you think they're going to care? They clinched a playoff spot that night. I know, they I know. But, yeah, I know, but, like, it, it was just, like, Jack, even Jack Edwards thought that he was going to be suspended. He wasn't yeah. suspended. That was just. I thought that was a suspendable hit. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. That's that's kind of the stuff you want to avoid. And then there was um, okay. And then in the third period, Kevin Miller hit does a very similar play to Josh Morrissey, um, mm. hit where like, oh, it was Brandon Tanev, but like Brandon Tanev like moved around so that like Kevin Miller would hit him on the numbers. Um, um, so he turned to the last yeah, second. Yeah, and then it was just, like, frustrating because, like, Kevin Miller, it was just, like, he he kind of, like, sold it, uh, to say the least. Um, and so that was frustrating. Although, I guess, kudos to Tanev. You know, he did get a hat trick and all that. Um, so yeah, it, you know the Jets are good when Brandon but, Tanev gets a hat trick. But, like, he all, I'm going to count the first goal not really a goal. So, it, it, I don't know. I, I was just annoyed by this game. Anyways, the the Bruins did score three goals in that, I mean, the third period. So that was that was nice to see that we had some fight left. But Tanev also scored in the middle of that. Um, so it's four four. No one scores in OT, and then the shootout. Anything can happen, and the Jets did, um, and the Jets won. But so overall, I was just frustrated by the refs in this game um, and annoyed, but. At the same time, it's like, again, we had McAvoy, Rick Nash, DeBrusque, Chara, and Bacchus all out. Um, so that was um, that was definitely frustrating, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, then we had uh, kind of a, a big game here um, against the Lightning. Um, Tuka Rask was incredible. He had uh, um, 26 saves. Um, Vasilevsky had three... Three goals against. He has 26 saves. He's really been falling lately. Um, anyways, um, but this was like a, basically if we won, we're back in, uh, we're in first place in our division. Um, if they win, they they probably have a good chance of doing that. Tim, uh, so Tim Schaller starts things off in the first, uh, in the, I guess the last minute. Um, it was a nice, like, I don't know. It was a, it didn't, like it was a nice shot. Um, it's hard to really explain it, but it was a, got a weird angle. Um, it was nice to see that he's the uh, pride of New Hampshire. Um, David, that, that period as a whole was a statement. Like they had shot Tampa 70, 17 to six in that. Frame. That's true. Yeah, I forgot about that, but that's right. Um, and then. Um, and then uh, I should write these things down because I always forget all this stuff. Um, Just and, a heads up, and I hate to rush you, but I got a bus to catch soon, so. Okay, yeah. Well, uh, I'll be done. 
Um, <laughs> David Pasternak also scores in the first period uh, a couple of seconds later. Uh, JT Miller scores in the second period, so that makes it 2-1. Uh, Boston, um, Bergeron, um, who plays now, um, he got his 28th in the third period. Victor Hedman then um, makes it close, so it's 3-2. And then towards the end, Brad Marchand uh, gets another goal in the end there. Um, oh, right, the Patrice Bergeron. It was a nice tic-tac-toe play from Brad Marchand then to Tory Krug. And all Bergeron had to do was shoot. Um, and that's something that, you know, Bergeron's known more for his assists uh, stuff, but in passing, um, so it's yeah. kind of cool to see that he uh, uh, he was like actively like oh like that that was a nice um, that was a nice goal there, and he was a part of it. And like the, even the empty netter goal um, for Brad Marchand, that was a that was like a similar type play. It was it was a really nice goal there. So if you have some time, look at it. Um, this. Uh, Exactly, uh, clinches or not clinches, but this moves the Bruins up to uh, the uh, um, up to the Atlantic Division or top of the Atlantic Division. So that's the first time since mid October that uh, Tampa Bay wasn't first in the division, so that's yeah. tough to do. Um, so yeah, that was exciting. Um, it was definitely that was a literal statement game. Um, to say the least, so that was uh, that was nice to see. Um, and that skirmish uh, with Rask and Conacher was also a statement too. Yep. Um, so uh, so now we go on to two games that I sort of saw, didn't really see, but uh, DeBrus played um, against the Panthers, and I think there was someone else who played as well. Oh, Backus also played um, in this game, but it was five one. I also got kind of confused because I thought this was a 7 o'clock game, but it turned out it was a matinee game. Um, but uh, anyways, I did see the highlights. Uh, McGinn scores. Uh, Holden had a nice play. Um, uh, he like he uh, pinched um, and got a goal in there. Um, so that was nice to see. Jake DeBrus also scores with Ryan Donato there. Um Ryan Donato, and this was basically a Ryan Donato and Jake DeBrusque show. Um, Ryan Donato had a goal and an assist, uh, and DeBrusque had two assists and a goal. Or, no, two goals and one assist. So, um, and then Patrice Bergeron gets a 29 goals. Um, he almost has 30 um, and, uh, yeah, I think, oh, and Carlo, uh, looks like he, he, uh, he slipped, um, and, uh, it looked pretty bad, um, and it looks like he's seriously hurt. We're not sure of his timetable yet, but it looks like it might be an ACL tear, um, so that's not good to see. Um, it's unclear how, if he'll be back during the playoffs, but I guess he's not going to be back. Um... Also, uh, Riley Nash left that same game, needed 40-plus stitches to yep. his ear, head, and neck region because uh, Puck hit him. Um, so uh, his prognosis is more positive than Brandon Carlos, but yep. um, either way, it's still scary for him when you take a puck to the face and you need a lot of stitches to True. 
picks up uh, whatever damage was done. So I'm yeah. sure fla- his life was flashing before his eyes too. Yeah, it's funny. I'm looking at these scratches now for the Philly game, and it's it says R Nash upper body, R Nash upper body. It's like <laughs> oh, those are two R Nashes. You know, you think that's not a typo, guys. They're just two R Nashes. Should be R I L and R I C. Yeah, and they also have the same. Sec- they both have R I. Yeah. Um, anyway, so the Flyers, uh, played yesterday, uh, the Bruins played the Flyers yesterday, um, Claude Drew starts things off in the first period, um, and then, um, in the second period, Konechny scores again, um, so this was, like, one of those things where you're like, oh, well, Kadobin's in net, of course, this is gonna happen, whatever, then Enola Chari. Um, gets a nice play um, in the second period, and that was uh, cool to see. Um, and then in the third period, uh, this was actually a nice uh, pass from Oscar Limbaum uh, to Nolan Patrick. Nolan Patrick has been pretty good uh, in the second half of the season, um, but that's his 11th goal. Um, it was a nice breakaway goal there. Um, then Pasternak scores. And then Bergeron ties things up with four seconds left in the third period. Um, this is that was Bergeron's thirtieth goal. Um, so with Marchand, Pasternak, and Bergeron, uh, they're the second team to have three thirty-goal scores on their team, and I think they're uh, the first uh, the first team on a line to have thirty goals. Um, this season, um, so that was uh, that's cool to see uh, for obvious reasons. Um, and then uh, Claude Drew um, had this breakaway in OT. It was it was one of those goals that was like nothing that Kadobin could have done um, to save it, but it was it was like a sick deke right in front of the net, um, and then Giroux just scores off there. Um, so that was um, it was frustrating to see, but at least we got a point there. Um, to say the least, and, um, so yeah, um, and I think, oh, I have one more stat left, and then we can do social media. In March, in March, Tuga Rask went 10-0-1 with a 2.53 goals against average and a 9.14 save percentage. Over his last 38 appearances, he's 31-3-3. With a 2.07 GAA and a 9.27 save percentage, um, so that's um, that's pretty good, uh, to say the least. I just hope that he can. Uh, I think a lot of these, like of course, like Kudobin isn't as good as Rask, but it is good that he Rask is getting some rest um, uh, in time for the playoffs. Um, so the uh, the Bruins have. Um, a couple games left this uh, this season um, to end the year. Uh, they have they play Tampa on Tuesday, uh, Florida on Thursday. Then on Saturday, as Steve mentioned, they play Ottawa, and then there's a makeup game uh, where they play F- Florida on Sunday. I believe that's the last game of the year on Sunday, um, but. Um, Yep. So, uh, um, so some exciting things to say the least uh, this this season. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
Um, and that's that's about it. Um, I think that that's probably our last Bruin Send segment, right? Um, uh, for the most part, unless we have like some final points next week. But next yeah. week's going to be our playoff preview, so we're still working out uh, some kinks to that. And, True. Uh, we're going to have a special guest, or so the plan is. Yep. Um, we're also <laughs> we're running a little bit long here. Um, uh, we're no longer, speaking of which, we're no longer on Fantrax Radio, if you haven't heard. Um, they, they were great for exposure and everything, but um, it just didn't work out. Uh, they decided to go in a different direction. So, um, so we're back to SoundCloud and iTunes again, um, and back to the old logo. Um, so that's, that's fine. Uh, we're also, we're still on uh, Twitter and Facebook. Our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, and, uh, do we have anything on the blog? I don't think we do. Uh, didn't update anything on the blog. I know I've been slacking. Uh, hope to get back at that uh, soon, but, uh, prepping for the playoff preview, so... Um, I promise whenever I do post something, uh, it'll be informative for all of you. So uh, if you're still interested in the blog, uh, we'll be tweeting and Facebooking when we do have new stuff up. But in the meantime, you can read uh, previous opinions at www.thelacemuppodcast.wordpress.com. Okay. I, I just realized we're at an hour and 50 minutes, so we should wrap things up now. Yep. Um, I, I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 120 of the Lace Mob Podcast.